Welcome to People's Church radio program. If you find this broadcast to be helpful, please let us know. You can call us at 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com. So what we want to have been talking about all the way along here has been relationships God's way. So we've been paying attention to not so much just the superficial skills of communication, for instance, or anything like that. We've been paying attention to really the matters of the heart because that is where relationship soil is developed and the good stuff is going to come out of. So we've dealt with some pretty, I would say, oh, deep digging things in our hearts and uh, going at that and seeing probably some deficits. That would be a word I want to use today a little bit. Every relationship will, will create some form of deficit, like just because you're not perfect and your spouse's complaints if your marriage confirms that. Your relational struggle in friendships confirms that. Like, we are broken people in that regard, so if you're going to use a perfect measure. So we end up with these kind of deficits that get created in relationships. I want to talk briefly about that on the whiteboard, and we'll dive in a little bit deeper as we go. And then we want to talk about storms a little bit, because every relationship and everything in your life is going to be go through storms. And we're going to spend some time paying attention to that. This whole series um, has the capability within a relationship to change things dramatically because it's going to the core. It's going to decisions of the heart. It's going to the things that we don't really want to look at. And that's no different than what we want to do today. Um, Let's talk about deficits for a little bit. But first, I'm going to use marriage. But this applies to all relationships. Uh, God has purpose for relationships. Everything he does, he has purpose. So there are two people always in a relationship. And I'll explain these as we go through. Two people always. And takes two. That's what marriage is, of course. Man and woman, God designed that they should come together. And the objective of the relationship was really simple. In God's mind, they would achieve something that was called oneness. It's an intimacy measurement. It's a, uh, something where they're constantly working to incorporate the weaknesses and the strengths of each other. They have the health systems necessary to be able to navigate the, the storms that are going to come uh, naturally out of their control into this relationship. And so what I want to describe for you is kind of what happens on the bad side and how do you respond to that if you're on the bad side of it. How do you respond to your relationship that hasn't been working for some time and achieving oneness? That's how you measure it. Right here. That's how you measure it. So, because that's the objective. If I was to put up all other relationships, you know, friends and all that, uh, friendships are more about, we would uh, say, is fellowship, is what the Bible term would be. Fellowship. So it's looking for a spiritually driven relationship as a believer. We're looking for spiritually driven relationships where God is central in those. Then there is the sibling relationships, parents to children, children to parents. All of those uh, are really looking at a different dynamic, but what I'm going to teach you fits. The W and the G are just two words, okay? The first is wholeness. This is what it takes. This is what it takes to achieve oneness is wholeness. Wholeness on both people's part. If one person brings wholeness and the other one doesn't, well, frankly, like you really can't achieve the objective. But we have to understand what wholeness is. Wholeness is not perfection. 
Holiness is not like, you know, like I don't have any faults or any weaknesses or I don't ever, uh, you know, fail in this relationship. I, you know, I hit the mark every time. Uh, That is not what wholeness is. Wholeness is something that is about your health systems. So that no matter what challenge comes your way, we're going to use storms in a minute to illustrate this. No matter what challenge comes your way, you are able to, with your health systems, mentally, emotionally, spiritual health systems, there's many of them, there's many of them, those health systems uh, kick in and process the deficit. And if the process, if the deficit is prophesied, uh, prophesied, processed on your side of the equation, because you have the deficit, you're whole. Because you're processing your deficits. If you're trying to process the other person's deficits, you're unhealthy. Your systems are unhealthy, and obviously theirs are. And so what it comes down to is you achieve wholeness by having healthy systems. Now, where do we get healthy health systems from? Body, soul, spirit. Well, from God, the one who made us. So that's the G. Wholeness and God run together. You see, it's not that you're perfect, but he he looks at your heart and your heart is perfect toward him. So when David sins and he has all of this graphic stuff, that in his life, he writes Psalm 51 after he comes to a repentance in his life. And in Psalm 51, he says, Lord, you don't desire, you know, sacrifice. What you want from us is a broken and a contrite heart. A broken and a contrite heart. More or less, that's just saying you're right with God. Your contriteness, you're humble before God. And your brokenness is attached to contriteness. So you are able to apply systems and work your own deficits. So if I make this David on this side, he creates a deficit that's very large, way over here. He's he's nowhere near this line. Where's his problem, though? Well, we know the story. If you know the story, his problem was with God. He went through a time with God where he decided he'd do it his way and how he wanted to do it. And God, by his grace, allows that to happen because he does make us, uh, you know, people of free choice in that regard. And David chooses that. And so he has an out with God. So his health systems aren't working very good. He's got this deficit that's in his life and in his relationships. You can't fix David's. Your health systems are for you. Your health systems are for you. You can actually mess it up by doing that. And here's a couple of ways that we mess it up. We take the objective, which is in this case, in David's case, uh, he was a married man, uh, but he wasn't obviously building oneness. And so he decides he's going to have that line moved over here. The fact is, is that oftentimes a healthy individual will move the objective. They will settle for something less than what it should be, which is oneness, which is achieved by wholeness, which only God can really be your source of. So what happens is this person then on this side looks over and says, oh man, this deficit, there's a big deficit here. They're not, they're treating me with indifference. We talked about that last week. We've been going at the heart things. They're treating me with indifference. There's no grace in this relationship. We are completely, you know, controlled by the situations. These are things that we've paid attention to already. So when there's a deficit, this person, they decide, well, I want this. And I love this person. And I want to actually 
settle this. So I will bring my health over here and make them healthy. Of course, you never do that. You've never tried that, I'm sure. You've probably never tried to fix a person on the other side. But you see, there's only one person that goes to both sides. And that's God. You can't fix people. You can't fix somebody else. You can love them. You're going to have to forgive them. You've got to keep your own health systems strong. We're going to talk about how you do that. So once they move the line, this person's, and I'm going to write this word, self-centeredness is now fully in control of the objective. So you move the line over here and you are now reaching even over the line because their health systems are not working. You're going to actually then try to fix it and then you get worn out and you get frustrated incorporated because you've tried. You have done everything that you can in your power, in your ability. You have manipulated every situation you can, every resource you could to try to fix this, this person. You can't do it. So what happens is, I'm going to write another letter here, just the letter I. The impossibilities grow. It's like, this will never change. It's never, it's never going to be different. I can't fix it. I have tried. I have given them my best. I have, I have covered for them. I have. And out of that process, you do end up very frustrated and worn out and you've tried everything that you can. And you don't see possibilities anymore. It's not possible anymore. I don't see any possibilities at all. So I'll just write that over here. Possibilities. The impossibilities are now way up. Possibilities are way down. But when it was marginal, you were thinking, I can fix it. I can make what seems impossible. That's eh, not that impossible. I can make it possible. Can't do it. These two things have to have a different lens. You put a lens here, and that lens is your faith. Your, that lens is your trust in God because he's the only one on both sides of this relationship. He's the only one that's intimately connected to the heart of these two people. He's the only one that knows the ins and the outs. He's the only one that has the power and the ability to work in the human heart. You don't. Only your own. And even that you can't work in. All you can do is yield it, surrender it, and let him do it. It takes his power to change you. Why do you think your power might change somebody else? So what we're talking about is a situation where you are in a relationship of great deficit. More or less, no strength. You've moved the line. I'll settle for this. Well, it's not going to be oneness where two whole people are working and keeping their health systems, processing the struggles and the, and the challenges. But really, out of that, we're getting stronger. We're enjoying our intimacy more. Because we are working, we don't, we don't just think we can fix each other. We pay attention to our own stuff. We pay attention to our own health systems. Emotionally, physically, spiritually. 
there's a scripture. It's a pretty cool scripture. It's found in uh, 3 John. And he writes, writing to Gaius, who is the uh, elder of the church. And John says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health. Another word for health is wholeness. Be in wholeness, just as your soul prospers. So he makes this connection. He's saying, your soul prospers, and I just pray that that'll just go through everything. What's he saying? He's saying, prosperity begins within the soul. Health is a soul issue. That's why it's your issue. Your health is your issue and your issue alone. I don't care what you've been through in life. I don't. I do not care what you've been through in life in that regard. I don't like that you've gone through pain. I don't celebrate your pain. But all of us have brokenness. And if we start going comparative and we start excusing away health systems because of where people are, what they've been through, then frankly, we're in a situation where health systems will never kick in. When you go through brokenness, you are part of the human race. But here's what tends to happen, is that we take brokenness and uh, we turn it into self-centeredness. The moment we do that, We are moving this line over here. We are creating deficit and we're saying to people in our life, live with it. Live with it. Boy, that seems harsh. Well, it is harsh. Self-centeredness, by the way, is always harsh. It just always is. And, and, And the more pure it is in its essence, the more traumatic it is to be around. This is really destructive stuff. But what has happened in this person's assessment over here when they're assessing this person that they are in this relationship with is that they have taken a word like being broken and saying, they're broken, I can fix them. No, you can't fix yourself. You can pay attention to your health system so that God can use those health systems to preserve your own health. You're not dealing with a broken person when they are willing to let the deficit remain. I'm not talking about a deficit for a day. I'm not talking about where I, that, you know, I didn't hit the mark here. I was not encouraging to her or to him. I, I handled that wrongly. I should not have done that. And then your health system kicks in, right? And says, I'm sorry. That's a health system statement. It completely against this. It's saying, I am sorry. I own it. And I'm, I just have to acknowledge that with you. I can't say I'm going to get it all perfect, but I'm going to tell you that I need God's help. And I'm, and I t- I'm taking it serious because I don't want you living with my deficits. I want our relationship. Wherever our deficits are showing up, we've got health systems that are going right at those. You got that going on. You can achieve this. Because it's not the perfection of a relationship, it's the health of a relationship that matters. And health comes out of the soul. So, this person is not, we can't say broken, but here is what is going on. I've already used the word with David. You're dealing with a rebel. It's not even that they don't even know what to do. They just don't do it. David had no knowledge gap. He knew exactly what was required. He just didn't do it. And you say, yeah, but he didn't maybe have the capacity. Yes, he did because he had wholeness attached to God. 
This is where we get our capacities, right there. This is what's different about Christian growth. This isn't just you deciding to be a better person. This is you deciding to let God make you a better person. And that's accountability. That's hard work of confession, repentance, rebuilding, building, whatever we need to do. A rebel is simply somebody has no knowledge gap. They're just acting against what they know. And they're doing it because of this. And so they are willing to let the deficit not be challenged. They don't have, they don't want health systems to challenge that because in that area of life, I just want to retain the deficit because the deficit serves me this way. Now, to put it out there, looks pretty bad on there, doesn't it? But we know that this is the human condition. There are relationships that have to learn and are willing to learn that the health systems are incredibly important for dealing with these deficits daily. Everything Jesus teaches on our behavior relationship. He says, don't let, don't let yourself be angry, you know, while after, you know, before the sun goes out, get rid of it. Well, he's saying, let each day deal with its own thing. He says, don't worry about the day he talks about anxiety and fear. And he tells us not to focus on that aspect of things today. He's saying, look, do not create a deficit. Just have a health system that can deal with these things within the moment and get going. So that being the case, let's talk about storms when they come. Some of you might be in a storm you see right here and you're saying, oh my gosh, I just see our relationship right there. I see it in a friendship. I see it in a sibling relationship. I see it in parent to child, child to parent. I see it in marriage. I see that this person just basically live with the deficit. So what does this person do? What tools are left to this person? Well, they must understand that the tools that God gave them is for their own health. So they must pay attention to their health. I'll tell you how you do that in four things in a bit here. You got to pay attention to your own health. But the other thing is, once I abandon the idea that I can cross this line and fix, I am left with he who really can fix. And that's where prayer becomes the most important tool for this person is that they understand they can pray to God about this person's unwholeness. They can pray to God and call, you know, uh, God into this in very heart deep ways. They can lean into God and find what they need re reinforced, but also turn the work of in this person's heart over to God in a way that we're not in the way messing it up. You know, part of the problem is that what, you know, prayer isn't just getting God's activity going. Prayer is ceasing your activity. Sometimes our activity is in the way. That's a broad stroke statement. Sometimes our activity is in the way. Because it's, it's us crossing the line. Your activity should end right where that line is. It's called a boundary. What happens in life is storms are going to come your way. Relational storms are going to come your way. Every storm, though, that comes your way is going to affect your relationships. They're either going to come together 
or the weaknesses will be exposed to such a degree that you cannot even function together very well within those storms. Let's talk about some storms for a little while. In 1 Kings 19.11, it's a story about Elijah. I I don't have that scripture, but let me just relate it to you. You He goes to this mountain because he's he's absolutely in a depression. He's, He's just depressed. And he, and he goes to this mountain, this cave, and he's saying, God, uh, I'm no good. Uh, I've failed God. Uh, I've given my best. I'm done. The nation has gone after this. There's no hope. He's just, it's an impossibility phase for him. And it's really high. And so he's just saying, God, there's no chance here. And uh, here's, here's a, what it says in verse 11 of 1 Kings 19. The Lord told Elijah, go out and watch what I can do what I can do to a mountain with wind. So Elijah watched as the Lord sent a great and powerful windstorm to hit the mountain. And it hit with such a hurricane force that it split giant boulders and everything was torn loose and coming apart. Sometimes when we go through relationships, struggles or just hit storms hit in life and our relationships don't sustain under them and you feel alone as the strength bearer in the relationship, it feels like everything is coming loose and being torn apart. Can winds knock you off balance? Absolutely. Can they blow you over? Yes. Cause you to fall? Absolutely. Blow away very valuable things? Yes. I think it was James telling me this week he had a trampoline lifted and taken from Grand Prairie to Claremont or something. I have no idea. But we get winds, don't we? Wind causes erosion. When the storms calm, relationships that aren't on good solid ground will erode quickly. It'll force you off course. Winds do that. It wears things down. Is it harder to work outside in wind? Yes. It's just something about it, isn't it? It's this constant resistance. Nobody likes it. It's just one of those things that makes everything harder. But they're going to come your way. And that's what, when storms come in life, and so many times this is when the relational thing really shows up. You're really not in touch with it a whole lot, how big the deficit has gotten, how maybe one has moved so strong, or maybe both are doing this. It can be both. And then when the storms come, it just isolates, pushes apart, inflames the deficits. So what does God want you to do in the middle of these things? Well, first I'll start with Proverbs 10, 25. Let me show you this scripture. The scripture says this, when the storm is swept by, the wicked are gone, but the righteous stand firm forever. That's a really cool scripture because it's basically saying there is a way to be firm. You can stand firm, but it's by being righteous. What is being righteous? Being righteous is being whole. What is being whole? How do I be whole? Good health systems. Not where you never have deficits, but where your deficits are never left to rule the day. They're not the last thing standing on the battlefield. What kind of winds might be blowing in your life right now? Change? Changes come your way in the last while you would not have seen coming. You wouldn't welcome it. Opposition. Opposition physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Temptation. You might be facing a real season of that right now because of deficits. They strengthen temptation. Conflict. 
Might be somebody you're in conflict right right now. You just don't want to have it, but it's there. Just winds of trouble. The waters are stirred. The waves are rolling. These terms are all used in the Bible. Winds of testing, trouble, of temptation. And what they all have in common is one thing. They're all uncontrollable. You can't control the wind. You can't do it. The things that you cannot control in your life is this. You cannot control the wind. And there are relational winds. There's financial winds. There's spiritual winds. There's physical winds. These kinds of things happen in your life. And what all these have in common is very, whether it's change, opposition, conflict, trouble, testing, temptation, is this. You can't control them. And here's why. Because they're either involving other people and they have to look after their side of the line. It's either that or it's just simply you can't control the circumstances. You can't control other people and you can't control all the circumstances around you. What does God want you to do then when you feel like you have no have, have absolutely no control over these things. Well, the Bible does give us a word. Gives us a word. The Bible uses the word withstand. Withstand. You withstand the winds that come into your life. Winds of change, of conflict, temptation, testing, trouble. All these different things. You withstand it when I can't control a disease. When I can't control another person. When I can't control what's going on in my country. When I can't control the direction culture is going. When I can't control how my spouse acts or reacts. What am I supposed to do? The Bible uses this word withstand. So what does it mean? To withstand means to remain undamaged by a destructive force. You remain undamaged by that destructive force. Ephesians 6.13 says this, put on the whole armor of God so you'll be able to withstand in evil days. Withstand in evil days. I'll read it from your version. Therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, just stand. You can withstand it if your health systems are being worked, if you're strengthening them up, if you're paying attention to them, you'll still be standing. So what are some of these things? Let me give you four things to strengthen your health systems and cause you to be able to withstand when the storms come. And if you've got healthy health systems, then you can even be in relationships with huge deficits on one side of the equation. It may be on both sides in your case, but... If, it's, if this is your story, you can even withstand in this if you keep these kinds of health systems that are necessary. And here's how you come upon healthy health systems. Here's how you build them. First off, you have to stay connected to your spiritual family. You have to enrich this connection. You have to, you have to make sure that you're building something really powerful in these connections with your spiritual family. That's your local church. The power of us being connected is huge. Is huge. Ephesians 4, 11 says this through 14. It is he 
who gave some apostles, uh, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach the unity or until we, I'm sorry, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure and the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants. Now look at this. Tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. It's a powerful scripture, but we have to understand what he's talking about here. He's saying, your gifts aren't for you. Your gifts are not to be turned inward or just into your life. Your gifts are for others. He's saying you need to be connected to others. This is what the body of Christ is. In fact, you need to have those things developed. See, I'm a pastor, leader, teacher. Uh, Those are gifts. They are not aimed at me. These are for you. You've got gifts that are for each other. I need your gifts. All of these are for each other. And that's what a church family looks like, where gifts are being served out, where you find gifts of encouragement, gifts of challenge, gifts of teaching. You find in there gifts of leadership, gifts of counsel. You find in there gifts of purpose. You find them in the local church because it's resident within the people that are there. The result, of course, is that you won't be tossed around anymore, back and forth, blown here and there by every shifting wind. You have to start with that which your soul needs, and it needs others that are people of faith serving you, giving you the gifts they were given so that they might serve you. You can't live this kind of great life and have great relationships to really process things really well without your spiritual family. You need it. It's, It's not a question mark. And opinion changes, folks. Let's talk about this a little bit under this one. You know, the fact is, if you're gonna be really secured, you need good teaching. Because that teaching is going to keep you from shifting winds. What is a shifting wind? That's something that people believe this year, next year they believe something else, and next year they believe something else. It's just opinion shift. The truth that you and I as Christians hold to of Christ, of purpose, the things we're going to be covering even in the next week, it was true a thousand years ago, and it's going to be true a thousand years from today. It never shifts. And opinion changes. Facts, by the way, actually change. Nothing is more irrelevant than a 10-year-old science book. Uh, One thing is more irrelevant than that, and that's a five-year-old computer book. (laughs) They're worthless. They're doorstops. They're out of date. Stuff we used to have the facts on are now changed. Now we know more biologically, anatomy. We know more about about the world around us. We understand it differently. The second thing that you need for good health systems, you gotta practice everything you know. You gotta practice what you know. 
We go to a great end of a, the Sermon on the Mount, a great teaching of Jesus. He says this in Matthew 7, 24 to 25. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the wise man who built his house on a solid rock. The rains came down and the waters rose and the winds blew hard and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Three things happen during a storm. When you have a storms that are hitting you, hitting your relationships, three things are going to happen. The rains come down. That attacks the roof of your life. That's going at your roof. Let's find it out where the leaks are. It then says a flood comes up from the ground. That attacks the foundation of your life. And then it says this. You, that, that, the wind's going to come in and it's going to hit and beat upon the walls of your life. So you got the roof, you got the walls, you've got the depth of your foundation being challenged in these storms. If you don't have health systems, and if you're divided in relationships in a way that looks like this, you really need your spiritual family and you need to practice what you know. And that's what Jesus said to them. He goes on and he says this, that you have to have yourself really upon the foundation on the rock, truths that don't change. What's the rock? It's the Bible. It's the word of God. It reveals Jesus. It's his, it's his teaching. It is all Old Testament, New Testament. It speaks into our life. It is truth that'll be true forever. So he says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if, this is what it says in John, in, in John 13, 17. It says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you know them. No. If you do them. If you do them. That's practice. Practice. See, you already know what to do. And if you're already knowing what to do and you do it when the deficits are showing up or your actions don't match what is required for achieving the objective, then your health system kicks in and it brings truth to it and you own it. And then you can build and go forward. Or you can be a rebel. You can know what to do, but don't do it. You put a little shine on it, but don't actually change it. That is how we often function. James 1.25 says, those who look intently into God's word, uh, his perfect word that gives us freedom and continue to do this and remember what they've heard and then do it, they are the ones who will be blessed in what they do. Third key in strengthening your health system, to withstand winds. So when it comes into my life, you gotta turn your focus upon how great God is, not on the things you cannot control. Turning my focus to God and his greatness. There's a word for it. We call it worship. Anytime you focus to the greatness of God, you are worshiping. Worship is a secret of withstanding. Worship is the secret of withstanding the uncontrollable things in my life. Because when uncontrollable things are hitting my life here, I have something that it is over here that I can worship that is Lord over all, and he has the power to deal with this and to give you what you need, to strengthen you. When you worship, you can release. It's, it's a release. It's God, you're in charge. You are amazing. You got all the power needed. Worship is a key, a key to health in your life. It's really the secret withstanding uncontrollable things. I cannot control this. I can't, I can't do anything about it. 
I need to flip my focus and think about the greatness of God and his power and how it may be out of my control, but it's not out of his. It's just not. When battered by a wind, don't tell God. Here's, catch this, please don't. This one you could write down. When battered by a wind, don't, don't tell God how great my storm is. Don't say, oh God, this storm, it's unbelievable. I've never been in anything like this. Oh, it is the worst. It's awful. It's terrible. When you turn something in worship, it would sound more like this. Tell the storm how great my God is. Hey, storm, do you know what you're up against? Hey, rebel, do you know what you're up against? Hey, storm that we're going through that we can't control, do you know what you're up against? Do you know how great our God is? You're up against him. This was the David and Goliath scenario. This was his approach. Worship gives you strength. It just gives you strength. There's a great story in Matthew 8 and how suddenly it talks about a storm. Uh, this is always how storms are going to come. They come suddenly and without any warning, a violent wind hit the lake. That, so that giant storm waves swept over the boat and threatened to sink it, but Jesus kept on sleeping. He just, just He's having a, a sleep. And so he's at peace. He's not worried. Jesus just keeps on sleeping. The frantic disciples woke him up shouting, Lord, you must save us. We're going to drown, Jesus, re- Jesus replied. Why are you so frightened? Your, f- your faith is so small. He, then he simply spoke to the winds and the waves and everything became completely calm. And, and, and the men were amazed and they asked themselves, what kind of man is this? Well, not just a typical man. Even the winds and the waves obey him. This whole experience leaves them in awe of Jesus. It's worshipful stance. They're worshiping. Why? Because they've just seen him have power over nature. So why were they afraid? They just were out of touch with who was in the boat. They were out of touch. Who's connected to this person? They're out of touch. Who's connected to themselves? So fears grow high. Worship. See, the thing with worship is, worship is like setting the sails so that when the winds are coming against you, you can actually tack against it and use the energy of the wind to still go forward. You choose worship. Four, and lastly, I have to remind myself really this, very important, remember how much Jesus cares. We go to a second story, and this story again is another storm story. There's interesting how many storm stories Jesus puts in. Why do you think he does that? Because that's you and me. It's another boat incident. Teaches the truth of just reminding how much he cares. It's found in Mark uh, 6, 47 to 48. I read this part. Another evening, the disciples were out on their boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on land. So he's not in the boat with them at this time. Jesus saw his disciples were in trouble. Uh, rowing hard with their oars because the wind was against them. So Jesus decided to walk out to them on the lake. This is the famous walking on water miracle. He sees they're in trouble. You guys, he told them, get out on the boat. I want you to take the boat up to Bethsaida. It was supposed to be a three-hour trip. Sounds like Gilligan Island. Three-hour trip. They are nine hours into the nine hours later. They're way off course, or in the middle of the lake. They're out in the middle, middle of the Sea of Galilee. They can't even get back to shore. They're way off course. 
Your relationship might feel that way. Why? Rogue winds. And so Bethsaida, something was going to be a three-hour trip up the coast. It's nine hours. They're dead tired. They're wearing down. And we find in here some key reasons why we get fearful. This story starts off with, first it says, another evening. It's nighttime. They're in the dark. Fears go up in the dark. Isn't it true that you get more anxious? You get more fearful when you can't see your way. I don't see any way out of this financial problem. I don't see any way out of this mess. I don't see how we're going to make it through this. When you're in the dark and you can't see well, then you get fearful. Second thing, they're in the middle of a lake. What's that mean? They're far from the safety of shore. So they feel very insecure. They aren't anywhere near shore. So when you feel insecure, and you're, you're going to feel a lot more of fear. They get fearful. And also they're in deep water. They're, they're out of their comfort zone. They're over their heads. They're beyond their, their abilities to deal with that situation. They're not in the shallows of life. Some of you right now are in a situation where you're in way over your head. And that's making you nervous. It's making you fearful. It's making you anxious. It's nighttime, middle of the lake, deep water, fourth thing. The reason they're fearful is Jesus isn't in the boat with them. So they feel like they're all on their own. And when you feel like that, you're on your own. Maybe you feel that way actually right now, that you're facing everything on your own. I'll, I'll handle this by my, I'm trying to handle it all by myself. I'm even crossing lines. I'm, I'm pushing my health systems over here to try and fix this over here. That's why you need a spiritual family. So the wind is against them also, it says. So the wind is coming right at them. When you feel opposition is preventing your progress, the wind is against you. So what is against you right now? What uncontrollable circumstances are against you? Where's the impossibilities, the eye, really high, you don't have a lens of faith on it? Jesus says in this story, Jesus saw that his disciples were in trouble. <laughs> That's good news. Rowing hard with their oars because the wind was against them. They're in trouble. They're rowing hard. You know what? They're frustrated. They're tired. And, you, and, and they are so frustrated. It's kind of like you. When you get frustrated, you get tired. Your fear level's going to go up. Your anxiety level's going up. And I'm sure that you're identifying with some of these things. You're in the dark. You feel insecure. You're out of your comfort zone. You're over your heads. Uh, you like, feel like you're on your own. Opposition seems to be making all of the progress. You're frustrated. You're at the end of a thing that should have been three hours. You're nine hours. You're way off course. I thought we'd be here by now. I thought our relationship would be here by now. I thought that we, we'd be over this by now. But this same passage that I'm just reading gives us three reasons why you don't need to be fearful. First, Jesus saw that his disciples were in trouble. You need to, you know, the first reason you need to be afraid is that Jesus, is that Jesus wasn't in the boat, but your fact is he's noticing your struggle. He notices, he pays attention. Everything you go through, there's nothing that comes your way that he hasn't noticed. He sees where you're struggling. He sees where you're straining. And the disciples are unaware that Jesus is paying attention to their struggle, so fear is going up. Job 31, 4 says, he sees everything I do and counts every step I take. Well, that, you gotta remember who that's coming from, Job 
Where did he find the health systems to withstand? He sees everything I do. He counts every step I take. He's noticing everything. Very powerful. Not only is he aware, he cares. He cares about your fatigue. He cares about your frustration. Sees the disciples have been out there. He knows they're at the end of nine hours of rowing. He knows they're getting to the end of their capabilities. They're finally coming to the end of whatever strength they can put into the oars. And their oars aren't going to do the job because their muscles are going to give out. And you're tired and what's happened all this last year, all that you had to go through. And you might think Jesus is not, is not there. He is. He's aware and he cares. And he cares. The third thing we see is that Jesus comes to me at any moment of desperation. This story is told in the book of Matthew and in the book of Mark and, and in another gospel, three different gospels. So, but Mark puts it this way. It was the fourth watch of the night when Jesus decided to go out to them to walk on the lake. That's between three and six in the morning. Darkest before dawn, folks. Fourth night of the watch. Loneliest time, exhausted, been fighting. God, when is this going to change? They're not getting anywhere. Storm's blowing them way off course. They're way, way away from the target. So what does he do when we are desperate? He comes out to you. He comes to you. Notice that Jesus did not stand on the shoreline and shout instructions. He didn't stand on the shoreline and tell them what to do. He goes out to them and he cares about them. He comes to you in the moment of desperation. He goes out where they are. He intervenes. And that is the gospel. A God who comes and intervenes on this planet. That is the gospel. That is the cross. That is the empty tomb. He does that for us. Because that's who he is. And how does he come? Well, those guys, he came to him walking on the water. What were they afraid of? The water. He walks on the very problems that you're afraid of. I'm afraid that this is never going to make it. This relationship is done. I'm afraid that we're never going to get anywhere to our destination. We've been, we've been doing nine years. I thought we'd be in, you know, it was a three-year journey to get here, but we're nine He walks on the very thing you are afraid of. He walks on the waves that you're afraid of, that you think will ship, that are going to sink the ship. Why? Because he's God. And you say, how does he do this? He created water. He can part the water. He can stop the water. He can bring water out of a rock. He can walk on water. He can do anything he wants with water. He's God. He invented it. He's the creator. The rest of this story deals with a faith and doubt they're in the middle of the night all of a sudden Jesus walking on water appears scares them to death they think at first he's a ghost and it's Peter he says then Peter he wants ID he wants ID and so Peter says Lord if it's really you tell me to come to you on the water so Jesus said come on come on down so Peter jumped out of the boat started walking on the water towards Jesus but when Peter looked at the wind he became afraid and began to sink so he cried out Lord save me Jesus reached out immediately, took his hand, caught Peter. Why did you doubt? Jesus asked. Okay. Says he had little faith. 
When they climbed back in the boat, the wind stopped. Those in the boat worshiped Jesus, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. The ones who had no faith were in the boat. The ones who had faith was on the water. It's a really interesting thing. Didn't take much faith. He said, you only just have little faith, and he's walking on water. I don't know about you, but I would have called that great faith. But Jesus said, it's just little faith. He's saying, it doesn't take much faith. But where are you going to cast your gaze? On the water? Or are you going to cast your gaze on who I am? Because I am the one that's over on this side. I'm the one on this side. So the ID check, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to be with you. See, here's one thing Peter knew, and I, I really like this about Peter. Peter knew it's safer to be with Jesus out of the boat than to be in the boat without Jesus. He knew that the boat was not his ultimate safety or his security. He understood it was way beyond that. It was Jesus. So if it's you, Lord. It's a very powerful thing. So today... When we wind up this series, we want to understand how powerful our lives can be, our relationships can be, when we don't move lines and we pray to God for deficits that shouldn't be there and remain or seem locked and loaded and impossibilities high, but we look through a lens of faith to see possibilities because of God being able to work in the human heart. And if you're on this side, here saying, you can see this today. God, I am this. I am this. I'm self-centered. I'm a rebel. I'm doing my own thing and I'm hurting. And I don't like that I'm hurting, but I just do it. And I need you to change me. Start getting it. That's a health system approach. You're not using your health system of confession, repentance. You're not using the health system to own and say, this deficit is mine. More than likely, these things appear on both sides. I've taught an extreme case here. But Jesus is the way out. Your faith. Health systems that are built because you make good choices around the things that we've talked about. Would you stand with me, please? This is about our hearts. It's about my heart. It's about your heart. This is something that you can change. This is something you have the power to build. Health systems that work. Own your own deficits. Change them when they just happen. Don't wait days and weeks and months because all it does is move you more and more to being stuck in self-centeredness where relationships can never thrive. Self-centeredness is the great destroyer of forward momentum and growth. And your health systems have been meant to kill those diseases. Self-centeredness is a disease. He's given you systems of health to deal with it. But it begins with a humility and ownership. When David is confronted by Nathan the prophet, finally, after a long time, it goes public, and Nathan the, and David is still maintaining his sinful way, and he's never cleaned it up with God. He stayed in rebellion. And then God, through Nathan the prophet, can 
confronts him. And David's response is, I'm that man. I'm the guy. The guy you're talking about, I'm the guy. And he owned his junk. You really want to do that? It'll, I, I, I could teach you a communication skills. I could say, here's what you got to do. Here's what you got to set aside a week. Make sure you're doing this and all that. But frankly, that's not where the problems are coming from. You know where they're coming from. Coming from you. You either need to partner with God that way or you need to partner with God and you or both. Own it. Call upon God. Lean into God. Get the right soil so the seeds can grow. Father, you know our hearts. You know what choices we've made. As we enter this kind of heart-digging kind of series. I pray we just have an honest moment as we draw it to a close. It just says, Lord, I've let deficits, I've created those deficits and I've let them remain too long. I didn't engage them with health systems. My health systems, even in some areas, Lord, they're not really strong. (laughs) I know that I'm gonna need to be connected differently and rich relationship with church. I need to enrich, Lord, things in my life of practice so that I'm practicing what I already know, Lord. And Father, there's so many things in our life right now that if we just practiced it, but that's not going to happen until we surrender so that your strength can come. So you know our hearts, may our hearts yield to you today. May our hearts seek you out for the strength to reinforce our own health systems. May we practice those health systems. And may we find that in our lives, our strength, Lord, is being returned to us. We thank you for your grace, which sustains us even in the midst of rebellion. But I pray right now, Lord, that in our relational world, for marriages, for homes, for families. God, right now, there's going to be some things change that your spirit is just lighting up for us. No more will these deficits remain. God, I can't fill their deficit, and I've got to deal with mine, and I've let mine stay far too long. So in Christ's name, Would you just be in our boat? Amen. Thank you for listening to our program. If you find this broadcast to be helpful, please let us know. You can call us at 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com.